Welcome. Welcome to, Welcome to Education on, on Tap. Welcome to Education on Tap, a podcast brought to you by Teach for America. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Education on Tap. I'm your host, Aaron French. A big part of education reform has always been about getting kids into college, about filling university seats with kids from our most underserved communities. I feel like it's only recently that we've also started talking about getting those same kids through college. That mindset has gotten a national platform through things like Michelle Obama's Reach Higher initiative, charter schools' additional support after graduation, and the creation of nonprofits like One Goal. Today's episode focuses on how we make college completion a reality and the policies we need in place to make it happen. Enjoy. Today on the show, we are talking college access and completion. And joining me are Eric Waldo. He is the executive director of First Lady Michelle Obama's Reach Higher Initiative. And Jeff Nelson, he is a co-founder and the CEO of One Goal. Uh, guys, before we get started and, and actually get into the topic at hand, I'd love for you to explain what your respective initiative and organization does uh, as it relates to college access and completion. And Eric, let's Let's start with you. Thanks so much, Aaron. It's great to be here today. So Reach Higher is really the first lady's effort to encourage students across the country to pursue and complete their education past high school, whether that's at a two-year degree, a four-year degree, a community college, an industry-recognized certificate or credential. But she's out there talking to young people across the country that they have to pursue and complete some education past high school. So I like to tell people you can think of Reach Higher as the first lady sort of the school counselor-in-chief for the country. Great. And Jeff, let's move to you because the mission of One Goal is just a slightly bit different uh, than that. So I take it away. What does One Goal do? Sure. Yeah, and, and similarly happy to be here, Aaron. Thanks for getting us together. Uh, so One Goal is a teacher-led college success organization. In essence, what we're trying to do is combine two pieces of ed reform that have worked independently into one intervention in one space, which is we identify, enlist, and train incredibly effective teachers that are already working in low-income schools to take large cohorts of underperforming students into and through college. The ultimate objective is that we reach a day in this country where every single young person, every single American, uh, has a real opportunity to complete college and the life that comes with it. Great. Thank you very much. And Eric, I'm going to toss it back to you here. Since we're talking about college access here, uh, walk me through and the listeners through some of the components of what that means and what the barriers are for folks, uh, especially those in our underserved communities across the nation. There are sort of four key bucket areas and one sort of the loop wrapping them all together. So I'll walk through them very quickly. Uh, number one is making sure that we're exposing students to college and career opportunities. Um, if you grew up in a family, in a school, or in a broader community where post-secondary ex- expectations and post-secondary completion isn't the norm, um, it's critical that you get that exposure, right? Um, the first lady herself, part of the reason we started Reach Higher is that she herself is a first-generation college student. We want to get more kids onto college campuses, and we also need to get kids exposed to more careers. So they're you know, mentoring, shadowing, um, spending days with folks and seeing what a real job is and being able to see that linkage and make education real, right? Um, number two, in terms of, you know, thinking about the path and the opportunities and barriers is the financial aid piece. Uh, we know for so many families across the country, you know, the concern about the rising cost of colleges is 
so dramatic. Um, but we want to make sure the kids understand that there are dollars and resources available. So the first ladies out there talking about the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. There are financial aid dollars out there for you. you got to fill out the FAFSA. That's the uh, sort of gateway to making sure uh, you can access higher ed. Um, number three is the academic piece, uh, both in the traditional school year and the non-academic school year. Uh, right now, we know that anywhere between 25 and 40% of entering public college freshmen aren't ready to take college-level courses. They show up and they have to take remedial classes. So we need to do a better job making sure students are ready on day one for college. Um, and that means, you know, more rigorous classes, higher standards, um, taking early college high school, dual enrollment, getting that exposure to college while you're still in high school so that you're really ready to show up on day one to take that credit-bearing course. Uh, the last bucket I'll talk about is the, the school counselor piece. And this is where right now we know uh, in our country the average is about one counselor for every 471 students. That's about twice the recommended rate. So we know that school counselors are so often the ones who have that roadmap for students, and especially first-generation low-income students, to help them navigate the path to college. So we need to do more to support them, get them the training they need, uh, help school leadership understand how to use them better, and then also give them some better research and technology solutions to connect kids uh, to that college path and make it more real. Uh, the last thing I'll say, which is both an opportunity and a challenge that the First Lady talks about, is I think woven through all four of those buckets is not just the academic preparation piece, but what nowadays in, in the vernacular we call the non-cognitive factors, sort of the grit, the persistence, the tenacity, um, how you bounce back when things don't go your way. And again, the First Lady, the first-gen college student, felt this really in a personal way when she was a freshman at Princeton and going through college is the first in her family or when her parents hadn't gone to school and saw how she had to seek out more help and figure out how to bounce back and, 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 and become part of that, um, cultivate herself. And so... I think that first place we should powerfully about that research and making sure kids understand that they need not just to be academically ready, but they need to have sort of the mental fortitude to understand how to bounce back, how to get help, um, how to be persistent, and how to just be dogged about working hard and, and, and pursuing your dream and not letting one stand in the way of that. Great. And I almost feel like every single one of those buckets could be its own podcast episode, to be honest with you. Maybe even walking people through the FAFSA form one day. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Um, and Jeff, let's let's move on to you. I, you know, you're an organization that focuses on getting kids through college. So, you know, a lot of what the Reach Higher initiative does is is show that the access is there, and of course, encouraging people to complete that post secondary degree. Um, but what are you seeing that works in order to get kids that four year degree? I, I'd, I'd really sort of narrow in on three things that we see consistently that predict whether or not students will get through. Um, the first is that you have uh, really adequate and systematic and, and methodical training for students before they get to college. We would uh, categorize that into three buckets, academic training, financial training, and non-cognitive training. And the reason why we bucket in those categories is that when you look at our student population, which is almost entirely first generation, uh, and you extend it to the broader first generation community in college, and you identify why students drop out. And, and yet, what we see within the K-12 community uh, is that there is not yet a systematic and, and methodical way in which to adequately train students for the first or 16 months of college across all three of those spectrums. The second thing would be that you have to have 
a highly sophisticated and highly effective adult uh, who can who has the same level of training that the students have had uh, to help adjust course during the first 16 months of college. So inevitably, there are going to be moments in the first 16 months of college where students are um, are faltering, uh, whether it's academically, financially, or non-cognitively, or some combination of, of all three. Um, and what you, you definitely need is a trained adult uh, who has developed really strong social capital with that student who can ensure that when the student faces those issues that they go back to their training, they implement what they've learned, and they course correct effectively. The last thing, the third piece is just is very short, and it's, it's how you connect the dots between K-12 and higher ed. You need to have shared accountability and data tracking systems that can easily equip those adults and even those students to know when they are off track. But you have to have the right data systems and the tracking systems that connect K-12 and higher ed to be able to adequately assess risk and serve students when they need it the most and not just have a one-size-fits-all intervention. Eric, I'm going to come back to you here for a second. There, You know, it's great that organizations that one goal exists to help with college completion. You know, we see the private sector step in through different foundations and um, to, to help provide scholarships and access to people who maybe can't pay for it. But what I'm thinking about this is it's like that doesn't really help the systemic problem at large, right? And that largely affects people in very specific areas of the country. So my question to you is what kind of policies on the federal level need to happen and need to be passed to make sure that this kind of effort is duplicated across the country, no matter what community you're in? That's a great question. And there's a few things we've done, and then I think there's plenty more we need to do. Um, I'd say just a few things that I think are, are critical on this whole, you know, cradle to career agenda. You know, one of the pieces we've already talked about, and that's obviously thinking about um, on the financing side, how are we making it easier and more reachable for folks to get to where they need in terms of their post-secondary degree. And, you know, the president's really led to huge increases in the Pell Grant, uh, moved to direct lending at a savings of about $40 billion. Um, but that's on the front end. On the back end, you know, we also want to make sure that people are able to pay off their loans well, which means how are we making sure that folks can do that? And one of the things we've done is uh, increase the income-based repayment model. So we're limiting the amount of, of debt you can have based on how much you're earning. Uh, we've tried to increase loan forgiveness for people entering public service. Um, we've also tried to make it easier on the front end to get the access to that aid by you know, simplifying the FAFSA form. But there's still, again, so much more we can and should be doing. And we've been thinking a lot about how to actually create more transparency, a college rating system that I know the president's talked about, and we're still working on that uh, with folks in the field to make it easier for parents to make that decision and understand, you know, how is it, how am I going to use my money well? How am I going to make a decision about college? The president also, you just heard in the State of the Union, talk about, you know, what is the new level set that we want to make of the country for where the federal investment in education ends. And you heard him talk about his free community college proposal. The president and the first lady held a convening uh, on December 4th of 2014 where we brought in hundreds of institutions, K-12, higher ed, um, nonprofits, and others, all making commitments um, around increasing and improving college access completion. And there was a whole body of work that was focused to this K-12 and higher ed partnership idea. And I'll say that I think that you know, the data piece is real, but I think what another piece that's very real from the federal side is, you know, regardless of what's happening in Congress, 
we have a huge role to play to set the goals for what we think people should be doing and actually using our sort of pen in the phone authority. It's amazing to see what we can ask people to do and what they're willing to show up to do as communities to improve this. So we've been really impressed with what's going on. And I encourage folks to, to check out the commitments that were made for that uh, College Opportunity Day of Action. Great, thanks. And something that you guys both actually just said um, that kind of piques my interest a little bit, you both talk a lot about data here, um, both at the sharing level between you know um, K through 12 and the post-secondary world, but also a little bit around individuals, right, and what's working for them. Uh, my question to you, and, and maybe, Eric, I'll, I'll toss this back to you, or, or uh, Jeff, if you have views on this, I want to give you a chance to answer too, but how do you keep that from feeling too big brothery, to use a, a word? Because I think that's what a lot of people are scared about, specifically as we have discussions around the Common Core, which we will not get into today, um, but where we're, we're sharing information and we're watching kids too much. Do you feel like you'd run into that? So, you know, there's, there's absolutely a very robust conversation about, you know, the, the safeguards that have to be in place around student-level data, period, full stop. Um, and we have an entire, you know, federal law dedicated to that. Um, for folks who are, want to learn another acronym today, FERPA is the law that, that, that governs that. And we understand that. We want to take that very seriously. Um, but I think what we also are hearing loud and clear from stakeholders um, is that, you know, within the confines of the, of the policy and law we have, there are ways, smart ways to share data to help, um, whether it's leaders, families, um, or nonprofits or others, the real-time data they need to intervene to help improve outcomes for students. We always often need to be mindful of all the, the, the data privacy safeguards, and we'll always do that, but um, people are also hungry to be able to understand what's working and what's not, and, and data has to be part of that conversation. Do you mind if I chime in? Yeah, go for it. So, you know, I cannot tell you how important this issue is uh, when, it, when it comes to persistence, and so I'm glad, you, I, I'm glad you're pushing on it a little bit here. The, the, the headline for us is truly how effective is the institution and the, the leadership uh, and actually really the individuals who are, are building relationships with students, uh, how effective are they at articulating why the data is critical uh, and what the data will be used for. So I think the, a major shift has to be or a major focus for organizations like us, institutions like districts, or higher ed institutions, it is this job of those institutions to articulate to the students and to their parents and to guardians and everybody in between why you need, you know, in some cases exponentially more data than we currently have at our fingertips and, and how that information will be used and leveraged to ensure that students actually finish college. Um, and, and one way to do it is to share uh, you know, clear examples and actually prove on an ongoing weekly or monthly basis what that information is being used for and how much it can actually increase persistence rates. And then the second piece is that we need to work alongside our federal and state counterparts on the policy side to ensure that the laws that currently prevent, um, you know, oversharing don't also simultaneously prevent us from the effective interventions that work. So uh, FERPA, I think, has been a critical piece of this puzzle. It's also a, it, there are times in which institutions use FERPA to prevent uh, various organizations from having real-time data. Yeah, I think the, the people who are generally a part of the conversation with data 
uh, and sharing that information are, are the people who speak the loudest. And I, you know, if I'm reading between the lines here, there is a moderate way to, to kind of make sure that we are sharing things and, and communicating with people what that data is used for. So I appreciate both of you guys' perspectives there. You know, it's all well and good that we give people access to college and our students uh, the support to get them through college and be successful. But what needs to happen after that? What kind of partnerships need to be in place to make sure that our kids, especially those in underserved communities, are getting their degrees, but they then need a job. They need to be able to contribute to the economy um, to pay off any loans that they have, to, to use the knowledge that they've learned. So what are you seeing that works to make sure that these our kids and our students have some place to go after their four years at college? Sure. Um, and I would even, I would suggest that this is also equally, in some cases, even more critical for students who are finishing their two-year degree and or technical certificate. Um, so it's across the post-secondary spectrum. This is a, you know, a key issue for our country. Like, there's a couple things that, that we have seen um, that I, I would suggest are really promising um, interventions between the, the transition from college to career. Um, and, and what's interesting about it is that they, the, the things that we have seen that work emulate in a remarkable, remarkably clear fashion what we see working in the transition between high school and college. So in essence, the, the headline would be transition periods typically require the same types of interventions regardless of the stage of your life. Um, and, and so the way that Eric and, and I and so many others around our field as colleagues are trying to strengthen this transition period between high school and college to set up kids to complete. Um, the same goes to the transition from college to career. So the two types of interventions or strategies that we have seen work, although they're on a very small scale right now, are credit-bearing courses uh, in the last two years of higher education that actually train students to succeed in their careers. While that would sound so remarkably obvious, that it is incredibly rare to find that on a college campus. The second strategy is that I think, much like the transition between high school and college, there are relatively light-touch, um, yet high-impact coaching, transition coaching opportunities for kids between uh, college and career. So similarly, when we see colleges and or their nonprofit counterparts or partners, that are in those final two years of college and in the first year of the career providing um, relatively light-touch but high-impact coaching during the transition period. And ideally, they actually have measurable objectives for what the student's success looks like in getting the job and actually succeeding in the job in the first year or two. And it's tied to an effective coach that can build trust and leverage those measurables to achieve outcomes. We see some pretty profound successes. Great. I thanks so much, and you guys, thanks for helping to shed a little light on on an issue that not too many people really talk about. I feel like a lot of the conversation surrounding education reform in general is just to make sure that we're closing the gap, uh, but we're not really talking about where where our kids continue after after they graduate from high school. So um, definitely appreciate both of you joining us. I have one last question, and it's for you, Eric. I have been living in Washington, D.C. for eight years, 
can you get me a hug from Michelle Obama? Because that's really all I've ever wanted. <laughs> I will work on it. Let's make a date to talk to make that happen. (laughs) I appreciate it. Anything you can do. Anything you can do. Um, But again, thank you guys for joining me um, and looking forward to to looking at um, the successes of each of your respective organizations going forward. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about Eric and Jeff's respective organizations, all you have to do is visit them on their web at reachhire.gov and onegoalgraduation.org. As always, thanks for listening to Education on Tap. A reminder that you can find us on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Just search for Education on Tap. You can also find us on Twitter at Teach for America, hashtag Education on Tap. And you can tweet at me directly at Aaron Mofo French. You can also shoot me an email with ideas for shows or any feedback you have at Education on Tap at teachforamerica.org. And one more quick note before I let you guys go today is that we got a lot of great feedback about the narrative story we did about School Justice Project a few episodes ago. It's my hope to really produce a few more of those since the, the reaction was so great. So if you have a story that you'd like us to tell that focuses on education or an issue or a fight that a student is trying to overcome, definitely use that email. Again, it's educationontap at teachforamerica.org. Send me your idea, and let's see if we can make it happen. That's it for us this week. Until next time, have a great weekend, y'all.